This episode of the Stock Market Movers podcast is brought to you by Calamero St. Heliers. Calamero has been making great pizzas since 1992. Call 0957577 to place an order or pop on in at 59 Long Drive St. Heliers in Auckland. Mention the podcast and we'll give you a 10% discount. Also, we made about 500 meatballs during the week, so we've got plenty of meatballs. Come in and try the meatballs, have a good chat about stocks and we'll give you a great service. That's Calamero St. Heliers. It is Friday, the 27th of September, 2019. My name is Jeremy Methan, and welcome to episode 59 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a quick reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice. And if you're looking for financial advice, I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. So we're going to get straight into it. We're going to get straight into having a chat about push pay. Uh, we've, we've talked a lot about push pay Throughout the week, um, throughout the podcast, actually, um, they they released recently released the updated full year t- two thousand and twenty guidance. I know that a lot of you follow Pushpay, but we didn't get to speak about it last week because it was released after the podcast came out. I think this, the news was released um, Friday morning. So Pushpay they trade on the NZX and the ASX under the ticker code PPH, and they've been one of the great success stories of the NZX over the last five years even though the stock itself hasn't really done too much in recent times. They were founded in New Zealand, and the founders, you know, they don't have any involvement in the company anymore, but it's a, it's a great New Zealand success story. And, you know, they've, they've been able to grow revenues to around 100 million US in, in the last year. And, you know, it's it's quite significant when you think about it. I mean, you try, try start a company and grow it to 100 million US in revenues and <laughs> tell me how easy it is. Um, anyway, to the announcement, they reiterated their gross margin guidance of 63% and expected total processing volume to be between 4.8 and 5 billion US dollars. So they're making progress, <clears throat> steer progress towards the goal of having 10 billion in total processing volume. So total processing volume, that's the I guess, the amount of money that goes through their apps and their platform, which is great. They downgraded revenue guidance from between 122.5 million and 125.5 million. They downgraded that to 121 and 124 million. So not a major difference. I guess they're trying to manage market expectations there. They upgraded EBITDAF from US 18.5 to 20.5 million. Oh, sorry, they upgraded from 18.5 and 20.5. So they upgraded to 23, between 23 and 25 million. So I'm not sure... I'm not sure why Pushpay has to associate themselves with and talk about such a dirty metric as EBITDA F. You know, it's something I've talked about a lot on the podcast. Earnings before interest, well, you know, Pushpay, they don't they don't have any debt, so they don't need to pay interest, so we don't need to talk about interest. Tax, everybody has to pay tax. I'm not sure why everyone likes to pretend tax doesn't exist. Depreciation, the depreciation on their plant and equipment was 946k in 2019, so not a major relative to $100 million of revenue. Amortization, they amortized about 1.6 million of development costs. Well, that, that that's an expense that they made. It's, I think it's a real cost. You know, they're always a company like Pushpay is always going to have to be doing development. So, I don't know. I I don't know if you can pretend that cost doesn't exist. I think it's a real cost. And they amortized about 1.2 million in other intangible assets. I'll let them off that one. I guess that's more of. That that's probably related to acquisitions, although I'm not a hundred percent sure. And if for fair value of financial assets, I guess that's referring to the income statement line that reads exchange differences on translation of foreign operations. 
which worked against them to the tune of 1.2 million. Maybe I'm being a bit hard and push pay for the use of this metric, but it always think that companies that use metrics like this like to pretend that costs that they're excluding do not exist. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see if, if foreign translation works in their favour in the future if if it's more of a, a, a big deal. I mean, certainly the, the, the translation from US dollars to New Zealand dollars, well, revenue in US dollars to a market cap in New Zealand dollars is probably having a positive impact for, for them at the moment in terms of multiples and things like that because the New Zealand dollar is depreciated so much relative to the US dollar. Um, maybe that would be why you'd be paying more at the petrol prices, at the petrol pump as well, but that's a different story. Um, so let, let's bring it back to pizza for a moment. <laughs> You're going to get a lot of pizza analogies going forward from me. hope you don't mind. So it would be like me buying a, and this is more for depreciation, as opposed to amortization, but the same principle as this. It would be like me buying a brand new pizza oven for, say, $10,000. Um, that, that money that disappears from my account up front and then depreciating the asset over subsequent years. And it would be like me pretending that that 10 k cost wouldn't exist. And it would be silly if I did that. It, it is a real cost. It's actually, as, as Warren Buffett says, it's it's the worst kind of cost because you have to pay it up front and there's no guarantee you'll make any money from it. You know, at least with like cost of sales or, or, or something like that, it's it's a cost that's generated from sales. So, you know, I, I don't like companies pretending that depreciation doesn't exist. Um, but that that's just my view. Anyway, let, let's get back to push pay. Um, I, I do agree that you should analyze them and neutralize the exchange rates. So let, let's take the, the top end of the range at, at 25 million, of, and let's assume that will be net income. It obviously won't be because you have to take out the interest tax, depreciation, amortization, and the F. But let's assume 25 million, which is 40 million Kiwi. Um, the, the stock is trading on a market cap of around 950 million. So that's around a 4% earnings yield, and it's it's around 23 times earnings, which doesn't seem too bad for a company that's probably going to grow. And that is why companies like to use things, say things like EBITDA ref, because it makes multiples look lower. So it's interesting now that I think the market is pricing push pay more based on its earnings as opposed to its growth. Yeah, I think the previously when it was maybe not earning any money and, and growing quite quickly, the market was treating it as a growth story. For me, I think it still is a, a growth story. I think it, it still needs to grow from here to justify that valuation. So far, they've delivered on that growth. Um, obviously, I think some investors won't like to see a decrease in the guidance, but at the end of the day, you're talking about a few percent in a range, so it's it's not a major one. But I think the growth the growth needs to happen to justify the valuation. Um, so I guess those are the numbers and, and where you think the company will go from here is what is what you should be focused on as an investor. So from the high-flying and, and high-tech world of church payments and cashless society and everything like that to something a bit more old school we'll talk about now. And I'll promise I won't relate this back to pizza even though I, even though I probably could. So... I saw an interesting headline while scrolling through the NZX announcements the other day. It read, Fonterra achieves a $1 billion debt reduction. I found it a pretty unusual headline to see. Like With a headline like that, you straight away deduce that a company has too much debt, or at least management thinks that it has too much debt because you know you, you see very few headlines that the, the goal of the headline is to say that they've reduced debt. So it looks like that 
They've achieved this debt reduction through an agreed to the sale of a 50% share of DFE Pharma for around 630 million Kiwi. So it just shows how diverse Fonterra is actually when you see a headline like that. So the cash from this along with other asset sales, including Tip Top, makes up the billion. It's just an interesting headline. Most most companies would word it the other way around. It would be something like Fonterra realizes six hundred and thirty million for DFE Pharma, and then buried in the announcement at the bottom, they would say a company would say that they'll use the proceeds to pay back debt and enhance shareholder value and blah 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 blah. So I think it it's just 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 a really interesting headline. Um, I've nothing against Fonterra, but it's always been in the too hard basket for me. I can't imagine a situation where I go out and invest in it. The shareholder structure is just too complicated. Um, it, I, you still struggle to get your head around it. And I know it's a it's a big and seriously important company to the New Zealand economy, you know, being an agricultural powerhouse and, and you know being a, a society that generates a lot of its wealth from the export of agricultural products it's obviously a a, a very very important company so i just think that the structure and and it's, an, it's a company that draws the best out of people in terms of strong emotions as well so i'll try to be careful about what i say but i think the structure from what i know about it it sort of pits the owners of the shareholders fund against the real owners of the company which are the farmers so the farmers also happen to be the suppliers obviously now I'm giving this broad strokes and I don't truly understand it, so don't get too angry with me and ignore me if you like. But in most capitalist companies, you're trying to achieve the lowest reasonable price from your supplier. And it's it's hard to imagine that's always the case with Fonterra because you're, they're always in the news and the farmers are always in the news complaining about payouts and, and, and everything like that. And it's hard to imagine that as an owner of the shareholders' fund, you're really getting a as good a run as the farmers, but like I said, it's not something that I, I, I truly understand, but one thing I could do is relate that back to pizza by saying that Fonterra probably produces the cheese that we put in our pizzas, so maybe I should be careful about what I say. Anyway, um, we're going we're gonna to go back to the tech world now. We're going to talk about a company that we've spoken about a lot, that's Plexure. They've been on the podcast. We've had the CEO, Craig Herbison, on a couple of times as a guest. You can go back and listen to some of those old episodes that he was a great guest on a, on a couple of different occasions. So they trade on the NZX under the ticker code PLX. And a lot has happened since Plexure since I first spoke about them. Um, well, maybe not so much has happened with the company. I mean, the company's doing great. They're ticking along as, as they were before. They're growing and everything like that. There's a 18-page presentation you can find on their website that they released the other day as well, so you can go and read all about them. But Certainly an awful lot has happened with the stock. I remember when I first spoke about them, they were like a $30 million company or something like that and hardly ever traded. But things have gone ballistic since then and now they have a market valuation of $121 million as of Thursday. So a, a pretty significant jump in a relatively short period of time. And <laughs> if you're new to the podcast and this is the first episode that you're listening to, it doesn't always happen that way with every company that I talk about. It doesn't. They don't go up four or five times in value in a short period of time. Often it goes the other way. You see companies I talk about go from $100 million to a $30 million valuation. So as always, don't do anything just because I've, I've talked about it. So anyway, the company came out during the week with some revenue guidance. They're expecting revenues between 21 and 23 million for the financial year 2020, um, which is about 24 to 36% increase on 2019. So some solid growth on, on Plexure. You know, if you if you grow at 
even 20% for, for four years, you've you've doubled your revenue. So some strong growth there. It'll be interesting to see how long they can maintain that for. It's it's probably no longer the, the value stock that it was. I remember the, the multiples were extremely small when I was first talking about it. It's definitely not the case anymore. So the company, they're not giving income guidance because they're saying that they cannot accurately assess some of the platform investments that they're making. Um, but say if you normalize it and assume maybe a 20% net income margin, which is pretty high margins actually, you take the midpoint of, of that of, of that range there at 22 million of revenue and that leaves you around four and a half million in, in net income. And it will of course, due to the investment, be a completely different number to that, but it it sort of shows that it's not really the value stock that it was. Suddenly you have a company that is valued at 121 million that is trading at 27 times potential earnings. So that's not even earnings, that's potential earnings. And and time will tell whether the stock is cheap or expensive from here. If it is cheap, then there will obviously, there will obviously have to be some growth because it, you'd have to say it's 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 priced for growth. Um, I, I would probably expect a little more volatility in the, in the share price at this valuation. The The reason for this is at these levels, the, the share price may swing quite heavily as people try to assess the prospects of the company. And that is at least until it becomes clear. And, and like, like in, in, all, in all business, nothing is ever clear. So wouldn't be surprised to see if some more volatility. But, you know, the, the company under, underlying it has certainly been performing well. And if the company can maintain its margins and continue to grow between 24 and 36% per year in the top line for any reasonable period of time, then you'll look back and you'll probably say that the stock is quite cheap now. But of course, very few companies can maintain a, a growth of 24 to 36% per year over a long period of time. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. So I know that I'm banging on about it a bit at the moment, but for those that haven't picked up on it, I bought a business that I announced on last week, last week's episode. And one of the listeners, and I'll try not to talk about it too much, but one of the listeners got in touch and pointed out that Moa Group recently bought a pizza business as well. I remember Moa? I spoke about them in detail way back in episode 24. Moa that, that don't know, they make the beer Moa. Um, you can go listen to episode 24, I speak about it in a lot of detail. So you remember a while back that they bought Saver Group, which is a company that Mel Moa now, now owns, but they own a bunch of, in, in fairness, pretty good quality restaurants and food outlets, mostly in Auckland. So it seemed to me at the time, and to be honest, probably still does, that they're trying to diversify their way out of trouble that they were getting themselves into with their beer business, which, let's, let's face it, was and probably is struggling, although I'll wait for the next announcement to find out more. Just to give you an indication, off the 2019 financial statements, the company has contributed equity, so money that's been put into the company of about $32 million and accumulated losses of $24 million. So that just gives you an indication of, of where the company's at, and there's been no dividends in, in, in that time as well. So it seems like that they've kept this up, and, and what they have called... Another milestone in Moa Group's vertical integration strategy. So they have agreed to buy non-solo pizza in Parnell in Auckland through Saver Group. So it is true that this acquisition will allow them to sell more beer. So that's a a good thing as well. So I guess they're continuing to try to grow this sector of the business. Um, so founded in 1996, non-solo has 150 seats. Um, they pay $3.75 million for it, which is quite a lot um, for a restaurant. Um, I know the restaurant sale business quite well from my day-to-day job, so at a quick estimate, 
you'd have to imagine that this business would make one and a half million per year in owner's profits. Um, although public companies do often overpay for these sorts of acquisitions. acquisitions. So, you know, there you go. Um, 3.75 million out of contributed equity of three point of 32 million is a reasonable chunk. Um, it's it's a, actually, when you think about it, the, the, the equity on Moa's group as of the 31st of March 2019 on Moa's annual report was 8 million. So, you know, it's three point seven five million. It's a it's a it's a decent whack relative to what else the company's doing. Um, so, you know, that's one of the more serious restaurants in Auckland. You can say that for sure. Um, just as this, you know, like I said, I know I know restaurant sales, and as a sweeping generalisation, it's a better market to buy these sorts of businesses at the moment and what it probably was a, a few years ago when the economy was perceived to have been stronger and immigration was higher. But anyway, that's by the by. Um, so, you know, you never know. Moa might have paid a good price for it. You wouldn't know until you saw the sales. Um, I'm real interested to see what Moa's numbers look like in the next financial statements. While acquisitions like this should add a layer of profitability to the company, it also adds an extra layer of risk as well in terms of lease obligations. The sites that they have acquired, not just non but the other sites through Saver Group, they will have pretty hefty lease obligations, I can tell you that much for free. So from time to time, you do see companies in this space, like the restaurant and retail space, get tripped up by their lease obligations. It's sort of like operating leverage in, in reverse. Um, the, the company does need to find something to stop the bleeding from their main business, and, and perhaps this vertical integration strategy will be it. It's a bit like we, when we spoke about Convita last week. Moa is an NZ, NZX company that I would just love to see it hit it out of the park and, and and really dominate things. It would be awesome to have an extremely profitable beer supplier as a listed company in New Zealand because, let's face it, it would, it would add diversity to what at times gets criticism for being a quite a boring market. So, you know, you'd just love to see Moa succeed and, and, and I wish them all the best. I hope this vertical integration strategy gives them the the I guess the operating stability to really focus in on on the beer sales, or maybe they'll maybe you'll see them in time. You know, Warren Buffett always says that you know when you've got a a sinking ship, it's often better just to look for another vessel than bail out the water. So maybe it's a could be one of those situations where you see a move away from beer sales tomorrow into more of a, I guess, a restaurant business. Only time will tell, but it's one that. It's an interesting story, and I'd love to see them succeed. Let's just say that. And but in fairness, you know, I don't think they've ever paid a dividend with thirty-two million dollars of contributed equity and twenty-four million dollars in accumulated losses. It's it's something that certainly hasn't been achieved to date, anyway. Right, many thanks again for listening to the podcast. That's about all I have time for today. Sorry if I talked too much about pizza again. A reminder that nothing that I said today should be considered financial advice. And if you're looking to find a bit out more about the podcast, go to stockmarketmovers.co.nz. That's www.stockmarketmovers.co.nz. Or find us and give it a like by searching on Facebook. Make sure also to share it with your friends. If you want to email me, it is jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz. Once again, my name has been is Jeremy Medlin, not as been. It's Jeremy Medlin, and this has been episode 59 of the Stock Market Movers podcast for Friday, the 27th of September. 2019. We will see you all again next week.